What is going on everyone? My name is Andy. Welcome back to another FPL video. And this we're going to take a look at some more new signings. So either players that have moved to the Premier League or have moved clubs within the Premier League. How will they be from an FPL perspective and what will their effect be on their overall team? So if you enjoy these videos, make sure to give them a like. Hit that subscribe button. If you want to check out Fantasy Football Hub, get your team rated for free. Make sure to check out that link at the top of the description. So we'll start off with Alexis McAllister and I'm going to do what I did in the last video which is take a look at the numbers from the previous season, check out their opening six fixtures, then look at their role at their previous club and how that might differ at their new club. So McAllister comes in at 6 million, he's actually fairly popular already, 15.4%, probably in part because he went to Liverpool but also because he got so many minutes last year his overall points total was pretty decent and he returned uh, 10 goals. Assist wise only two and the underlying numbers are not too much to get excited about so 0.23 expected assist uh, sorry expected goals per 90 0.13 expected assists to put context around that that's lower than someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold now that might be partly because he was used in a variety of different roles at Brighton which we'll talk about in a minute but I am kind of skeptical about whether that's going to get any better at Liverpool but we can discuss that in a sec looking at the fixtures I would say if I really wanted an attacker from Liverpool, they wouldn't put me off too much. The most difficult fixture is probably Newcastle away in game week three. Chelsea away in game week one isn't great, but again, it wouldn't really put me off. At Brighton, like I said, used in a lot of different positions last year, a six, an eight, and a 10. Mostly under Deserby, it was an eight or a 10. So it's kind of hard to analyze what his attacking returns would have been like if he was always used in an advanced role last year you would have seen at the end of the season when he was playing as a 10 pretty consistently his underlying numbers did get a lot better but it's probably not a role he's going to play at Liverpool and it's also worth noting that six of his goals were penalties so if you take them away it's four goals two assists last year and obviously penalties count but at Liverpool you've got both Salah who's already on penalties probably not going to give them up and also Soboslai, who's also really good at them. So it's unlikely that McAllister would get them. At Liverpool, similar to Soboslai, uh, likely to play as one of the attacking eights, especially if they keep keep using this 3-2-5 build-up system. He's probably not going to be quite as aggressive getting forward, though. And that's going to be an issue from an FPL point of view. I think, overall, he's going to be heavily involved with how Liverpool play. Plenty of touches and stuff like that. But I think in terms of goal contributions, it's probably not going to quite be there. I don't think he's going to be getting in the box that often. He probably will create some chances, but most of that is going to be left up to other players like Trent, Salah, etc. So I think he will probably play regularly, but there's also maybe going to be some rotations. Obviously, Liverpool do have other midfielders. So for me, McAllister was great at times last year. For game week one, probably not going to go with him. So Chelsea have got a couple of new FPL forwards this year. We already discussed Nkunku in the last video. Now we're going to talk about Nicholas Jack. Jackson. He does come in a little bit cheaper at 7 million and his ownership is much lower. He's only 0.8% owned at the moment and his goal record last year was pretty good. So if you remember, Nkunku scored 16 goals and got four assists. So Jackson's only four goals behind and he didn't actually play a huge amount last year. I think he played in 26 games total in the league and only started like 16 of them. So maybe over a bigger sample of games, he might have done even better. Underlying numbers, 0.45 expected goals per 90. 
opportunity, 0.19 expected assists. Pretty encouraging numbers, but again, you've got to put that context around it that he didn't play the whole season. And perhaps if he did, those numbers might have come down. But I do think they look quite promising. And with the Chelsea fixtures, as you'll know by now, I do think they're pretty good for an attacker, even from game week one. Would I trade in Liverpool for a much easier game like Everton at home? Of course, but it wouldn't put me off owning an attacker if you wanted to. And for just 7 million, you might be able to get Chelsea's first choice striker, at least at the start of the season. Uh, if we look at his role at Villarreal, played as the lone striker, mostly staying central. Not one of those players that drifts wide or anything like that. Uses pace and physicality in behind to stretch the opposition, especially in counter-attack scenarios. And also pretty good for hold-up play. And it feels like a long time since Chelsea had a striker like that. Obviously, Lukaku didn't work out. Aubameyang had a lot of pace and stuff like that, but that didn't really work out either. So having someone fresh in the side might be exactly what Chelsea need. Now, in terms of him at Chelsea next year, if no other striker is signed, it is probably likely that Jackson is first choice because Fafana has been loaned out and Broya is only just back from injury. It might be that eventually Pochettino prefers Broya and maybe he'll show his fitness throughout preseason and be first choice. But right now, if you have to say who it's going to be, it's more likely to be Jackson. Of course, this is Chelsea, so I'm sure they're looking for another striker. And if they get one, we'll have to discuss that at the time. But right now, you can possibly get Chelsea's first uh, first choice striker for just seven million. Whether or not it's worth paying the extra 0.5 for Nkunku is up for debate. I think it probably is, especially if he gets penalties. But this does give us another option. Likely to be used in a similar way uh, to his time at Villarreal. Should get a good early minutes, especially if there's other issues with the other forwards or they don't buy anyone. The only thing to say... He really came into form about February or March last year. And last season was his first playing consistent top flight football. So whether or not he's going to be ready for that transition to Chelsea in the Premier League, we'll have to wait and see. But we don't have a huge amount of historical data to go on. Whereas with Nkunku, just to compare, because obviously they're at the same club, he's played a lot of first team minutes. So I'm not quite sure... I'd be willing to risk Jackson straight away. But for those of you that maybe want double Chelsea forwards for whatever reason, you could go for it. So next up is João Pedro, who's moved from Watford to Brighton. He's listed as a forward and will only cost you 5.5 million. His ownership at the moment is quite low, 2.8%. I think partly because people aren't sure how he's going to be used at Brighton, which we'll discuss in a minute. But also, he didn't exactly set the world alight in the championship last year in terms of attacking contributions. 11 goals, 4 assists. And his underlying numbers, 0.5%. 0.26 expected goals per 90, 0.13 expected assists are definitely not awful, but they are quite a bit lower than the likes of March, Matoma, Welbeck, Ferguson that are already at Brighton, but you would expect him to improve. Now he's playing in a better team. Fixture-wise, I think at least four of the opening six aren't too bad for Brighton. Luton at home, Wolves away, uh, West Ham at home and Bournemouth at home. The other two being Newcastle at home and Man United away. But given how many chances Brighton create, I don't think there's many fixtures that really phase them too much in terms of his role at Watford last year they didn't do too great as a team in the championship but he was one of the few kind of bright sparks mostly played on the left did have a bit of a free role with the ball in the final third and generally was given a lot of attacking freedom the interesting thing at Brighton is on the left you've obviously got Matoma so it's hard to nail down exactly what position he's been brought in to be used in. Obviously, Deserby will have his ideas and we'll have to wait and see, but it's probably not going to be on the left. In previous seasons, he has been used as a striker and as a shadow striker, so maybe that's what Brighton have got in mind for him. Not 
the whole of last season, but towards the end, Undav did play as that shadow striker a few times, and perhaps that's what João Pedro has been brought in to kind of play, and De Zerbi might use him there. I think in terms of being an FPL option, if he could nail down a place and got regular minutes, I think he'd be great at 5.5. I think a lot of people have got their eye on Inciso because he was good last year as well, and he's owned by 13% of all FPL managers. But I don't think there's any guarantee that he gets more minutes than João Pedro. And the interesting thing about him is he takes up a less valuable forward spot, whereas Inciso takes up a midfield spot. And if he is going to play as a shadow striker, there's no real room for a number 10. So there's not really a position for Nciso to play. So I think he has a bit of an effect on him as well. I think ultimately for Brighton, the opening fixtures are pretty good. But longer term, they will have Europa League. And they've got so many attacking options, we could just see rotation. So unless there's something in pre-season that tells us this is going to be the first 11, I think he's probably one of those players we're going to have to wait and see what happens. So I don't think it was a shock that Mason Mount left Chelsea in this transfer window, but I do think it was a bit of a surprise that he went to Man United. So it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. He's coming as a £7 million midfielder. His ownership isn't too bad right now, 8.8%. Last season, absolutely rubbish. Most Chelsea players didn't do that well. Mason Mount was definitely included with that. Three goals, two assists, that's all he got. And his underlying numbers are not even worth mentioning. But we know from previous seasons, there is a better player there. And definitely a player that can outscore that £7 million price tag. Whether or not he's someone to include from the off, when there's so many other good midfielders to choose from, maybe not. But at some point this season, we are going to be talking about Mason Mount. I'm pretty sure of that. Uh, opening fixtures aren't bad. The two hardest games are in game weeks two and four. Spurs away and Arsenal away. But I don't know if people are that worried about them. Because a lot of teams have one of Rashford or Fernandes, sometimes even both. Now, in terms of Chelsea last year, and in general, he was used in lots of different roles. Mostly in the front three under Tuchel. Even as a number 10 under Lampard. And last year, when Graham Potter was in charge... He basically used Mason Mount everywhere. Now, I always think Mason Mount is an interesting player to talk about because the fans, not all of them, but in general, I feel like they don't quite rate him, whereas he always gets used by any manager that is managing him. And that happened under all three of these players, uh, sorry, managers. Wherever they could fit him into the team, they got him in there. So he is quite versatile, and I do think Ten Hag will like that. There is a particular position he's going to play, but I wouldn't be surprised if he fills in other roles throughout the season. So his minutes should be pretty good. In terms of his, of his specific role at Man United, likely to play as an eight. Should probably offer more in the final third than other midfielders did last year outside of Bruno Fernandes. And I do think we're likely to see his atta attacking output return to what we've seen in previous seasons. The key question is, what will the knock-on effect be with Bruno Fernandes? We're all wondering whether he'll be just as good as he has been you know, in previous years. We might see Ten Hag alter his tactics slightly. Because a few times last year, especially when Casemiro was out, Bruno Fernandes was used a little bit deeper and he was very good at that. Now, most of the time, Man United play with a 4-2-3-1. And obviously, Fernandes plays at the 10. But Ten Hag might go to a 4-3-3. So you'll have Casemiro at the base and then Mount and Fernandes playing as eights. One getting forward, one staying back. The other one getting forward, the other staying back. So that might impact the amount of attacking output that Fernandez has. I don't know if it's enough that I wouldn't start with him if you're considering it. But he might not be quite as good as we've seen before. Again, as always, preseason might tell us different. But that is something that could happen. So I think his minutes will mostly be guaranteed. I think he's needed in that midfield. And if Ten Hag does want to go a bit more defensive, he could even use him in one of the uh, kind of wide attacking roles as well. So I think he's going to get a lot of game time for Man United. At 7 million, he could be an option. Just not quite sure it's for game week one. 
All right, let's talk about the £100 million man, Declan Rice, who went from West Ham to Arsenal. He's listed as a 5.5 million midfielder, currently 6.6% ownership, which is a little bit higher than I would have expected. But I guess outside of FPL, he's quite a popular player. And maybe there's a bunch of Arsenal fans that just want their new signing in their FPL team, which is absolutely fair enough. But obviously, he is not an FPL option. He doesn't get enough attacking returns because that's just not the role he plays. Last year was just four goals, two assists. The more interesting conversation is how much he might improve Arsenal. So quickly looking at West Ham, obviously he went from a centre-back to a defensive midfielder, then into this box-to-box midfielder that we've all come to admire. Carries the ball well, helps with progression, has a bit of attacking licence. What I mean by that is he picks up the ball and he tries to carry it towards the final third. He's not trying to drive into the box most times or starting to create chances or anything like that, as we know. But And the main thing he does is contributes a lot defensively. Now at Arsenal... He's likely to play at the base in midfield, similar kind of role that Thomas Partey filled in last year. Unlikely to get into many attacking positions, but he does add a lot of defensive quality. And I think last year, Arsenal were like top three expected goals conceded. And you might question whether they can keep that up for another season. But I think adding Declan Rice really helps that. And so if you're kind of on the fence about an Arsenal defender, this one transfer alone would make me want to go for one. I think the opening fixtures are pretty good as well. So Declan Rice individually is not an FPL option, but I think overall he is going to improve Arsenal. Whether or not they can get to the levels of Man City, that's going to be difficult because Man City are ridiculous. But I do think we're going to see a very strong Arsenal team again this year. And lastly, I want to talk about Kovacic, who's moved from Chelsea to Man City, because a lot of people are discussing whether or not he could play the Gundogan role. And I've probably mentioned that on videos myself during preseason, but I'm not sure that's going to be the case. Like last year, his record for Chelsea was one goal, two assists. Often he was used as a deep line playmaker, but probably too deep to show what he's genuinely capable of in terms of being a creator. And it also didn't help that generally last year, Chelsea's attack and team in general didn't really have a clear plan. And then you look to what could be possible at Man City. Obviously, it's difficult to ever guess what Pep Guardiola is going to do. But the ter- in terms of being like Gundogan, Gundogan was a goal scorer. He al- was always in the box, contributed a lot. Whereas Kovacic has got four league goals for Chelsea in five seasons. Now, obviously, Pep Guardiola is an extremely good manager. And maybe he's got something up his sleeve to allow him to play that role. Or maybe he's got something else in mind to play him elsewhere. Maybe to be used as part of rotation, being allowed to rest other players. Ultimately, five million for a Man City midfielder sounds quite good. But there is no guarantee whatsoever he gets the minutes. So as much as I would love to see him in that Gundogan role and start contributing lots of goals and assists for five million, I'm not sure that's going to be the case. So that's probably just a pipe dream, but we'll see what happens in preseason. If you've got your eye on any of these players, let me know in the comments below. If you think there's anyone I've missed, let me know as well too. Give it a like, hit subscribe, make sure to check out Fantasy Football Hub, and I'll catch you again soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.